I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, and this is Commerce Code, a bi-weekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if you like this podcast, come join us at a Digital Commerce Alliance event. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week, I'm talking with Debbie Lee, the Senior Director of Partnerships at Cartera. Cartera is the business-to-business division of Rakuten Company. And as a division of Rakuten, Cartera is the largest source of shop and earn offers in the U.S. and Canada. And as I found out in the interview, Rakuten means optimism in Japanese. It feels like I should have known that already. Anyway, it's an optimistic episode this week as we're talking about the consumer in 2024 and holiday shopping as we round out 2023. Debbie and I are going to hit changes in consumer behavior, the great trade down to more affordable brands, persistent spending among affluent consumers, how this impacts loyalty program planning and execution in the coming year. And finally, we'll take a look at how Black Friday and Cyber Monday performed and what that may mean for the rest of the holiday shopping year. So stay tuned for a deep dive into the consumer in 2024 and a look at the holiday shopping season that will close out calendar 23. This episode of Commerce Code is brought to you by Augio, a global leader in engagement platform technologies that create compelling experiences, foster people connections, and cultivate brand advocates worldwide. With more than 45 years of experience, Augio empowers Fortune 500 companies to deliver extraordinary brand experiences for employees, consumers, channel partners, subscribers, and members. Fueled by a holistic engagement ecosystem across workplace engagement, experiential, social activation, customer loyalty, and digital asset experiences, Augio's mission is inspiring people to achieve more, one interaction, transaction, and experience at a time. Augio, engagement unleashed. Debbie, welcome. Uh, great to have you with us on Commerce Code. Where are you joining us from? Thanks so much, Dan. I'm glad to be here. I am in Cartera's offices here in historic Lexington, Massachusetts. Lexington, Massachusetts. As we sit here and record this latest November of 23, we've just had Thanksgiving, all of us in the United States anyway. We're going to try and remember past that that mental barrier of Thanksgiving, you know, that puts you in a turkey coma and all of that all the way back to a few weeks before then when we were together at the DCA Summit in New York. And kind of the theme for that that event was thinking about the consumer in 2024. You did a presentation there that brought just a ton of great insight um, on that topic. Uh, you know, how are consumers behaving? How are they feeling? You know, how are they sort of changing into next year? So I'm, I'm excited to get into all of that stuff and talk a little more about what you'd said. And I will just start with the big picture. How do you feel about consumers overall in 2024? Is he basically optimistic? Do you see some clouds in the horizon? Where are we starting off from here? You know, there are a few clouds, but I think a lot of reasons for optimism. My parent company, Rakuten, means optimism in Japanese. And so, you know, I would be um, hard hard pressed not to remain somewhat optimistic no matter what. But, you know, let's talk about, I guess, those few clouds first. I think it's really just the state of the economy right now, right? I mean, there's been a deceleration of inflation this year, but not quite out of the woods with the cost still increasing and how much that is 
sort of driving up the essential expenses like housing and transportation and of course energy, right, for um, a normal consumer. And that that's sort of pulling from their disposable income bucket, coupling with the interest rates and the credit card debt at record highs. And then student loan debt, right? So the repayment of student loan debt is having an impact on American households of almost two to $300 a month, impacting sort of Gen Z generations more imminently right now as well. But, you know, there's a lot of pressure there. I think consumers are really feeling squeezed in different ways. And so it's sort of that squeeze that's forcing consumers to shift their budgets or prioritize differently how they're going to spend, be more savvy about their spending. And actually, that's, I think, where my optimism comes in, in terms of how much those consumer mindset shifts are really creating opportunities for loyalty programs and all that we all do every day. So happy to dive into a couple of reasons of why I feel optimistic, if if you want to hear those as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as a as a comment, I think, you know, whenever there's change in any market, it creates both both risks and opportunities, obviously. And it, and it feels to me like, you know, your your comment is the is in connection with loyalty programs in particular, creates some opportunities. And so, yeah, I'd love to hear about that, too. Where does the loyalty program, the typical loyalty program or maybe the ones that you guys work with kind of see an opportunity in a change in consumer behavior and mindset? I think there's some some specific areas that we could pull out. So one of them would be, you now I sort of alluded to Gen Zers a second ago. Now, there was a study actually that Bank of America conducted just in August. It was about 1,600 Gen Zers for their 2023 Better Money Habits study. And in that, they found that 73% of the respondents said they're finding ways to cut back on spending. More than half said they don't have enough savings to cover even three months of expenses, so they're staying at home. 48% of Gen Zers are living at home. And I think we talked about this summit summit as well and saw some groans. If you're a parent of a Gen Zer, this may create a little bit of a problem for you. But from the sort of US retail market, there's a benefit there, right? That because they're not spending money on their rent and utilities, they have more disposable income that they can spend on. And as we know, spending a lot through social media on whatever they choose. And that's good for retailers, right? And it's good for the economy that they're able to do that. Could have some longer term effects. We'll see what happens in terms of their ability to buy housing and things over time. There's also this shift in how people are spending and where they're spending their dollars. Right now, there's an 80% growth in spending on everyday essentials, you know, drugstores, pet supplies, groceries, over any other category. So people are still spending. That's good news. That's good news for all of us. It's just maybe not on the same things or not on as many luxury goods as they may have been before. What's really happening is, you know, they're participating in what Rakuten coined the great trade down in which they're buying the things that they want, but they may be making different decisions about where they're going for those things. I may have always bought this artisanal bread, right, at this very special bakery. Now I'm going to get the bread off the shelf at the grocery store. You know, those kinds of shifts that consumers are making mean that there's opportunity out there to then meet the need as consumers are thinking about how do we adjust my spending habits? How do I take make the most out of every dollar in my wallet? And that's actually forcing them to say, well, I need better deals, right? I'm going to look for the deals. I want to be rewarded for my shopping. I want to have opportunities to really feel good about the way that I'm spending my dollars if I don't have a lot of dollars to spend or if I feel like I'm sacrificing in some other way, right? If I'm not 
sort of shopping at that luxury retail store that I used to really enjoy as much, then maybe I want to feel good that, oh, good, I earned some cash back or I earned some airline miles when I was shopping at a different store. And that made me feel really special and good about how I shopped as well. So that sort of reward and savings, I think, is a direct result of the consumer mindset shift right now. And I think that is going to really create an opportunity for loyalty programs to answer that need, right? That we could show up there exactly where consumers want to be spending and earning. You know, tailoring offers to to a degree or, or, or knowing your audience, let's just say has been, you know, is, is an important theme. Because as you as you talk through all of this, what I'm assuming is true is that the most affluent consumers probably haven't changed their behavior a ton, that they represent a pretty small, but, but very profitable and important slice. And so that's one crew. What you're talking about in terms of the great trade down is, you know, the vast majority of people, the, certainly the bulk, you know, in the middle, right? Like the upper middle and the middle of consumers have uh, shifted their behavior in this way. So in terms of like the number of members in any given loyalty program, it's the vast majority of them. And so you can shift with them. But I, I assume that one of the tricks here, or one of the things to be attentive to is that you do have some pretty high income households at the top where you want to preserve, you know, their attention to the luxury brands or whatever it is that they've always, that they've always been spending on. Yeah, absolutely. Those people who are able to afford sort of the creme de la creme are going to continue to spend in those categories. And actually there's been a lot of growth in those categories, you know, from a retail perspective, over the last couple of years. I mean, it's pretty much continued to stay stable despite the shifts that we've seen in the economy. So that's good news as well. And I think creates a special opportunity there too, to think, you know, how do we continue to meet their needs? And then also, you know, look at the majority, as you're saying, very well said in terms of the majority of the people that are probably part of the loyalty programs are people who are looking to drive more rewards and and stack up those earnings and the specific currency that you're offering in your loyalty program um, that's meaningful to them in some way, whether it's, you know, points that they can redeem for future travel or miles or they're, you know, cash back and savvy, right? And we know that those tend to be less of the sort of upper echelon of spenders. So they may be spending a lot, but it's more of that mid-tier consumer And so that's where, too, I think that apparel retailers, right, are a good example of that, of sort of how consumers are trading down from sort of those elevated brands down to the everyday fashion retailers, from the everyday fashion retailers down to maybe those budget apparel retailers. One of the things you said at the November uh, summit had to do with uh, bricks and mortar and Gen Z. And I'll just I'll just preface it with among the decisions that were made in my family over Thanksgiving was my nephew wanted to buy something. And, you know, it was Black Friday and uh, we thought, let's just, we, we were down in the Chicago area, let's just go, you know, we'll just go to like a gigantic mall. That sounds like a good idea on, on Black Friday. And, you know, it was a little speculation on our part as we're driving there, like, you know, how crazy is it going to be? Answer, totally crazy. Now, I, I don't know what the footfall was, like what the statistics were or whatever, but it was really, it was Woodfield Mall in suburban Chicago. It's a big one, right? And it was insane. It was crazy. So good, right? Like from a retail perspective, I, I've not seen that many humans in one place, right? You know, other than like whatever, a Taylor Swift concert since the pandemic started. So that's great. Um, Your thing that you had mentioned at the event was uh, 47% of Gen Z survey respondents prefer in-store to online shopping. And I just wonder, I don't know what that represents in terms of trends, et cetera, but I wonder what your feeling is in terms of does that, does that plus maybe the resuscitation of, of bricks and mortar, does that mean that we're going to be in a different world in 2024 and beyond or what, how, how do you view that? 
you know, coming out of the pandemic and when so many stores were shut down, there was definitely sort of this afterglow effect, right? In which everybody just couldn't wait to get out. Restaurants felt it. I think dining continues to feel it actually. And I think that was mentioned at the summit as well. So even as that afterglow, I think, is getting further behind us, I think there is a smart trend that is happening for retailers in multiple channels, right? And between their brick and mortar and their online spaces, you know, retailers are starting to connect the dots, I think, a little better and help make that experience more interactive in the stores, make it easier to shop, make it easier to browse online, but then go in and try it on on the stores. There are retailers who offer that service even, right, where you can sort of pick things out online and then they'll have them ready for you in a dressing room. I mean, some of those are very niche, right, and not maybe your typical everyday store that you would find in your mall. But I do think that there is continuing to be this trend. And as we've seen in the data, that while a lot of the browsing does happen online, usually with multiple screens, (laughs) people are sitting with a phone in their hand, maybe a laptop or an iPad on their lap and a TV screen in front of them, right? That there are multiple devices on every day at home that they may be browsing. A lot of the actual purchases are still happening in the store. And I think there's, you know, a lot of tactile reasons for that too. People just want to be able to try things on. They want to be able to have the experience with friends, go with your parents, right? Maybe they'll use their credit card instead of the cash in your wallet. And I do think there's going to continue to be a demand for brick and mortar, which is great. I think too, loyalty programs are are meeting that need too, right? In terms of having a more of an omni-channel offer strategy where you can shop online and then go earn your rewards and then go buy online and pick up in store because there are so many stores now that offer curbside or in-store pickup. But also, you know, there's card linked offers, right? Where you can be linking your card and then going to shop in the store and feeling like you're continuing to get rewarded no matter where you are. So I think we'll see more of that even heading into 2024 and hopefully the years beyond that businesses will be looking at their offer strategy for their loyalty programs and thinking about the loyalty program itself and more of an omni-channel strategy as well. How do we make sure that the offers we have sort of expand beyond the typical channels, right? That they're not so siloed to just online offers and just in-store offers, but that card linked and online offers can kind of live together in space and let the consumers make the choice, right? It doesn't really matter. I think as as loyalty strategists, we don't really care how you interact with the offers or how you interact with our brands. We just want to make sure that you do that. So you make the choice of how you want to interact with it. We'll make the offers available to you wherever you are. Commerce Code is brought to you in part by Vantage Score. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use Vantage Score to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. keep coming back to this trip that we made to the giant mall, but it's a bummer. Well, it's a bummer to hang out with me in in general because I say nerdy things all the time. But of course, you know, my family doesn't care how hard retail and marketing stuff is. But of course, I was providing that commentary as we were uh, doing our thing. And, you know, it's it's a rough part part of going to a mall these days is to say, oh, those guys still have in-person stores or gosh, I think that that brand is totally gone now. Right. I mean, it's a hard 
industry. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so we're in this space that's marketing and offers and, and payments, et cetera. And it's directly next to this whole conversation integral, I think, to the idea of multi-channel is somebody's got to figure out inventory, right? Somebody's got to figure out supply chain. How do you, how do you know how many, you know, whatever size 11 Nike, somethings that you need to have, you know, here versus there. Um, I do not envy those folks. And I, I wonder, you know, how much of that do you see, you know, as you're it just what I think sort of the chaos in some of the merchant and retail space, trying to figure out how online we want to be, how in person, how do we knit together that omni-channel thing? How do we handle the supply chain? I mean, that's got to be a, a, at least behind a lot of the conversations about how to approach loyalty programs as, as companies move forward. And I, I just wonder, is that, has that conversation changed? Has it just been the same for the last five years? I mean, that challenge has been present and I don't know how much you know, you see it from where you sit. Yeah, we do see it a little bit. Part of what we saw during the pandemic, of course, right, was that any retailer that had sort of the brick and mortar experience and an online experience were immediately shifting dollars away from the brick and mortar experience and into online channels. And so they got savvier out of necessity, right, of both managing the huge increase in supply and demand from their warehouses and things and just moving inventory, right, for the online demand that was happening in kind of a completely different way, right? It's different to bring the boxes and boxes to the retail store and have them sit there and wait for people to come shop versus needing to ship them out each individual box one at a time, right? So certainly some big shifts there, but that also changed how a lot of retailers in general were spending their dollars in the online space. And when they look at their marketing budgets and they're looking at their affiliate programs and thinking differently about how much we want to be driving people to shop online, especially now that we've set up all these great systems, right, to be able to handle the volume and to be able to be more efficient with it. And so we have seen some interesting shifts in, I think, affiliate spending and how that has become a little more integral into, or in some cases, changed teams or where it sat within businesses in terms of affiliate not sort of being a siloed thing over off on the side, but really integrated into the overall marketing strategy. So that's been exciting. I think there's a lot to be said there for how we bring, you know, that incrementality because we're driving lifetime value out of a shop and earn program. If you have an offer strategy, you know, it's not necessarily about every, just bringing in the new to file, but can we just push that beyond to get repeatability, to really drive everyday interactions with your brand? And I think that's the end goal, right? But now the lens has shifted a little bit to sort of bring affiliate more into the fold of those conversations as a key component of that strategy. I've had two conversations in the last 24 hours with DCA members about, about sort of that incrementality and, and are you, you know, are we focused too much? And by we, I mean, just sort of broad different parts of the sector in digital commerce, but is there too much focus on acquiring new customers or resuscitating lapsed ones or whatever? Is there maybe, you know, more value to be captured in intensifying or creating more engagement with existing customers? And I, I don't know if you feel like that has changed. I mean, to me, that, that those conversations have been the just a maybe more an observation about where the industry has been focused and and the idea being not that the world has changed so much but that the industry maybe need to, needs to shift back more to how do we focus on intensifying or improving engagement with existing customers i mean that's the space that we live and breathe in every day at cartera i mean we're partnering with the loyalty programs that we partner with you know to bring in new people to their programs sort of leveraging the shopping programs as one element to do that but more importantly, I think leveraging a shop and earn program to be able to drive the incrementality. And there have been some 
pretty sizable programs that have really understood that and now are starting to really capitalize on that because the traditional offer targeting, I think that we all are so familiar with, has some limitations, right? I mean, we're really needing, I think now, to think about those nuances of how you treat a first time versus a second time or third or fifth, right? Whatever it is that's going to get them to sort of cross that threshold into being sort of a loyal shopper or loyal member of your loyalty program versus, you know, lapsed and and your most loyal, right? That there's something different there for your most loyal members and that we should be thinking about them differently, incentivizing them differently than we would maybe a lapsed member that we're trying to re-engage or re-ignite with. And you know, so many of these things are very concrete, so sort of marketing 101, I think all the things that we all know, but there, I think the industry does need to kind of come back and reshift to that repeatability, that engagement. How do we not sort of have a one-size-fits-all targeting strategy and instead bring offers and all of the pieces of our loyalty programs into a more omni-channel experience and be able to sort of react to the different moments in a customer's life cycle with your brand or a member's life cycle with your loyalty program and have the loyalty program show up in those spaces where it's meaningful and important to those members. So there are a few loyalty programs out there that I think are starting to really dip their toe in and do a really great job in those areas. But I think the sky's the limit. And there's so much opportunity, I think, across channels too. I was just reading this week, 79% of e-commerce traffic during Cyber Week this year was from a mobile device. So right, I mean, loyalty programs in the mobile space are still light years behind where they could be, a lot of opportunity. And I think leveraging those channels and that technology, AI, which I know is always a hot topic, there could be great opportunities to really start to move into a more personalized experience that is not that hyper-targeting that we're so used to, but that just fits into the life cycle moment that the member is in. And that sort of opens us up then for doing it in a more efficient way, right? In a, a mm-hmm. less costly way, because hopefully technology is evolving with us. There's a saying in economics that it's it's okay to predict um, what's going to happen as long as you don't say when it's going to happen. And it's okay to predict when, you know, a thing will happen as long as you don't say what the thing is. Uh, and so I guess I'll, I'll do that, which is, it, I think at some point, I think probably in the next year, uh, that the elements of artificial intelligence that are now out there are sort of just banging around the internet, right? They're, they're available, but they haven't been integrated very well into things. will start to knit themselves together and start to create a sort of a bit of a paradigm shift in how things work. Uh, and I'm just thinking about, you know, I don't know exactly, right, like what the outcome of that is, but I do think that the next sort of, you know, we got, we got a foretaste of, of the change with, you know, it was a, a year ago, almost exactly now that ChatGPT sort of came out, but it wasn't clear, like mechanic, like on the ground, what, what was, the impact of that would be. And I think we'll probably figure that out sometime in the next year. It's moving fast in terms of things. And and your point about you know mobile apps and loyalty and all that not being where they could be, you know, part of what AI changes is the the speed with which programming can happen, right? App development Absolutely. is one of the things. So I think we'll we'll see some some more there. Well look let me let me close with one last thread and we in a way we kind of alluded to this at the start, which is uh, uh the Black Friday, you know, in the mall story. What's your take kind of from where you sit on how the 23 holiday shopping season uh, is going so far? I mean, we're pretty deep into it. We're you know, in the heart of it right now, I guess. Better, same, worse than you were expecting. What do you think, you know, at the end of the year, it's going to, are people going to be happy? Is it going pretty well? 
Yeah, I think so. So, you know, the early read on the holiday shopping season was that it was off to a bit of a slower start. The presumption was that consumers may have been holding out for those Cyber Week deals. And luckily, Cyber Week has really delivered. I don't think anything is a stronger testament to how strongly consumers want those offers and deals than Cyber Week. So such a perfect time to be talking about this. Black Friday online sales in the U.S. were up 9% year over year. Cyber Monday was up 3% year over year. So, you know, just huge increases in shopping online. I mean, retailers have really stepped up and met the moment, I think, in terms of their ability to support online shopping in a stronger way, to have more discounts and deals. And I think there's been some great commentary out there this week around, hey, look, if the retailers have the discounts and deals, it turns out the, the shoppers will come. It's exciting to see, to see the response. And as you noted in the mall, you know, there was just so much shopping happening. So I think it's good. I think we, as always, have seen it you know, spread out across this holiday season. It got earlier and earlier each year. You know, we've all experienced the walking into a store and it's barely Halloween and you're starting to see Christmas things in the store. You know, it's usually spread out, but I think this Cyber Week is very indicative that this is going to be a strong season for retail, which is great. And now I would say this is really up to businesses to think about how do we meet that consumer demand um, for saving and earning ongoing, right, throughout the rest of the year. Some interesting things at play. I mean, buy now, pay later continues to increase. People are looking for alternative payment methods, which continues to speak to sort of where consumers' mindsets are, where their spending habits are. So I think as long as businesses can continue to evolve their loyalty programs to be one of the ways that consumers can feel really good about their shopping, and that they're finding ways to shop and earn and save all together in a sort of an everyday capacity throughout next year as an ongoing part of their program and not just at these really big key holiday spikes and peaks, we'll be in really good shape, I think, from a loyalty perspective. So excited to see what will come. Interesting. I will say, and one of the things I feel like I do every year or two is to look up that Wikipedia site on why exactly Thanksgiving is when it is again, because it's moved around a little bit historically. But this year, Thanksgiving and, and thus Black Friday fell as far as they can fall on the calendar from Christmas Day. Now, I don't know the data on this as to whether that means that there's really more revenue in that space, but it can be, you know, it, it, it fluctuates within a window of five or six days. And so it's the longest, if you want to call that the quote unquote holiday shopping season, it's the longest one we'll have. So hopefully that means, you know, combining everything together. And as you say, up 9% for Black Friday might be a great year. Yeah, I think so. And I think too, you know, there's there's so much opportunity still between now and Christmas, just in terms of gift card sales, the buy online, pick up in store. There's just many more retail moments to be had. So really, really exciting. And I for sure plan to continue shopping. So. Super. Well, look, it's been a pleasure to have you on, Debbie. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to having you again in the future on an episode of Commerce Code. I look forward to it. Thanks so much, Dan. Commerce Code is sponsored by Pentadata, the all-in-one financial data API. Whether it is bank account data, credit card transaction data, or credit reports and credit scores, Pentadata has it all in one simple and easy-to-use API. With coverage of over 6,000 banks, over 200 million credit files, and 60 million merchants, you can get all the data you need for your apps at pentadatainc.com. 
Commerce Code is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practice sharing. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week.